Our reading from Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16 onwards. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, We've got a guest speaker this morning, which is quite exciting. So Claire, would you like to come and join us? So... um, just Hello. do a little interview and so people can get to know you. So um, this service is all about creation care. So as a church, we've decided um, in our last church meeting that it would be something that's really worth exploring. A few of us went on a, on a training day and we bumped into you. So would you like to tell us sort of who you are and, and why we've called you as a sort of expert on this? Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Claire Notbrand Hughes. I'm a member of Dursley Tabernacle uh, URC Church. And um, two years ago now, we started Eco Church, the scheme that Rachel explained briefly earlier. Um, and it's been quite a journey for us. Um, I'll explain in the sermon, but uh, we've learned so much as a church community, perhaps not just about green issues. Um, and so part of that was to um, take a look at, I think we've touched on this morning, the sense of passion about the, commu- about the environment. Can, um, people can respond in different ways. They can become overwhelmed or they can perhaps switch off because it's, it's, it's too much. Or the other, uh, the other extent, you could just become absolutely um, almost yes, immobilised by the, the anguish that it causes you. And so we wanted to have an event where we came together and we looked at partly our, Chris, our Christian uh, response to, to the care for the creation, but also how we can find our way through that um, and not be overwhelmed. And so we set up this event and different churches came and I met Danny and Naomi and a couple of other people came. Um, and um, out of that, one of the reasons why I'm here today is because um, you couldn't get someone from Russia, <laughs> But um, I do live not too far away. And so in terms of carbon footprint, um, I'm a slightly more green option. That was definitely <laughs> the angle we were going for on that. Yes. Um, Claire, you've got a really exciting message to, to share with us this morning. I'd love to pray for you um, before we, we get into that. So God, we thank you for, for what you've been doing in Claire. Thank you for the passion that you stirred in her for the environment. Thank you for the experiences that she's been able to have that have brought her to this point. And we pray that as she speaks to us this morning, she shares her heart, she shares some of your heart as well, Lord, that you'll guide her and that you'll help us have open ears. Amen. Amen. I have to be honest with you, last week's worship was a little uncomfortable for me. If you can cast your mind back, we were in the throes of another storm, Storm Kira. 
Um, I was on the welcome team and I was wrestling with the door as I um, helped encourage people to come through and uh, I was quite relieved when some of the more frail members of the congregation made it into the sanctuary of the church. Um, But actually it wasn't that welcoming when they got inside because our heating has failed. Uh, It fails every winter and it shows last weekend to fail. Um, And so we, we encourage people to wear extra layers Uh, We shortened the service, and I think it's safe to say I wasn't the only one looking forward to the hot coffee at the end. Um, But it was uncomfortable, not just because I was cold, but because I was reminded again of how easy it is for us to forget the power of nature and become disconnected, separated from the earth. We buy our food in the supermarkets. We have air con in our cars. We have central heating in our homes and our churches when it works. Um, But we can forget our interconnectedness with the earth, the earth that sustains us. And perhaps, too, we can forget our dependence on God who created the world and everything in it. This year, we have already seen terrifying pictures of bushfires in Australia as the world begins to face up to the damage we have caused this earth by burning fossil fuels, by cutting down forests, by treating God's good creation as if it were a finite resource we can continue to spoil and to plunder. So I was thrilled when I heard that you were setting up your creation care group and that it would be launched this Sunday, so close to Valentine's Day, as you explore new ways to show your love, God's love, to this world and its people The eco-church questionnaire from A. Rocha that we're working on at the Tab 2 has proved to be a really useful framework, as I mentioned, not just for um, green initiatives, but it's presented us with an opportunity to really think about what Jesus' life tells us about how we should be living today, how we should be responding to the circumstances we live in, and particularly to the impact on our brothers and sisters across the world. One of the eco-church sections, as you saw on the slide there, is community and global engagement. And I work for Christian Aid. Um, I'm the regional media officer for England. And as a result, Danny and Naomi asked me if I could speak on that aspect of the scheme. Through my work, I've been fortunate enough to hear and see and share stories from people across the world whose lives are much more obviously interconnected with their natural world around them. And in many cases, their existence is reliant upon their immediate environment. In 2018, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change published its special report on global warming. It laid out in stark terms the damage which a one and a half degree temperature rise would bring. One of the primary threats to human life by climate change is food insecurity, particularly in the global south, where, as I said, people are much more reliant on small-scale agriculture and uh, herding and are vulnerable to droughts, to floods, to extreme weather. In 2016, I travelled to Zambia in southern Africa to learn about Christian Aid's work to help the poorest communities. And part of the programme that I saw was disaster preparedness, We heard how particularly in southern Zambia, droughts and then flash flooding were becoming an increasing issue. Some of you may have seen last year the startling images of the river Zambezi at the Victoria Falls. That's on the border between Zambia and Zimbabwe. This thundering giant of a waterfall that David Livingston said was a view for the angels. It was reduced to a trickle. 
This image was taken in the dry season in December, so we wouldn't expect it to be um, at its most powerful. But nevertheless, in 2019, the flow over those falls was down by almost 50% as southern Africa languishes in a severe drought. I visited Christian Aid partner organisation Village Water, and that's helping local communities dig wells for water pumps like this one. I learned that having a water supply is not just about being able to cook, to drink, to wash, but it's also not about having to walk six, eight, ten kilometres to a water source and carry it back. This is at a time when mothers and girls in particular are vulnerable to attack. It's a time when families could be growing crops to feed their families or taking those crops to market to enable them to earn money, to pay for healthcare, or to send their children to school. It means that livestock survive. It means that children can get an education because they're not collecting water. By 2050, 2050, it's estimated there could be as many as 200 million people displaced by climate change in this world. Now, the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change Process, is one of the most far-reaching, rigorously reviewed, and comprehensive scientific research projects ever undertaken. But I want to share this with you. American environmental lawyer and climate change advisor Gus Beth says this. I used to think that top environmental, global environmental problems were biodiversity loss, ecosystem collapse, and climate change. I thought that with 30 years of good science, we could address these problems. But I was wrong. The top environmental problems are selfishness, greed, and apathy. And to deal with these, we need a spiritual and cultural transformation. And we scientists don't know how to do that. And this is where we come in. Because I believe in this critical time, as in any time, God shows us what this world needs. God's word, as revealed in Jesus and in scripture, guides us. And it shows us a way forward which might be impossible, might be unthinkable to others. Climate activist Greta Thunberg said, People are more scared of the change needed to prevent catastrophic climate change than they are of catastrophic climate change itself. But Jesus came into this world showing us how we needed to change, how we needed to live differently, love the marginalized and the vulnerable, love our neighbor as ourselves, to repent, to find life by giving up life, to take no more than we need. This week, I was speaking to Christian Aid's theology advisor, and she told me how Claire O'Neill, who until recently was the government's lead on the UN climate talks, She had told a London vicar that churches could not be too demanding when it comes to tackling climate change, which is why I'm thrilled to be here today. We have an opportunity in our society, in our time, to speak out, to show how Jesus brings new hope and new life. We have a framework, unlike the scientists. It enables us to make sense of this and move forward confidently, urgently, hopefully. When politicians are fearful of making changes because they might not be electorally positive, when businesses put profit above everyone else, 
When consumers, myself included, seek short-term convenience over long-term sustainability, the world needs voices that dare speak the truth, however unpalatable that might be. And we are blessed because we have scriptures full of tales of prophets who do just that. They call out on people and systems who have strayed away from God's will and they speak truth to power. In our Old Testament reading today, we heard from one of the prophets, Micah, who is also despairing of the establishment. He speaks of corrupt rulers, immoral priests, prophets who would prophesy anything if you'd cross their palm with a bit of money. And the people weren't much better. He says just before the reading we had in chapter 2 how the people wanted their preachers to speak of things they liked to hear. They actually said they want them to speak of wine and strong drink. I'm afraid we're, we're teetotal today. But against this backdrop, Micah presents a kind of a courtroom debate between Israel and God about how the Jewish people can put things right with God. And God asks them, why are you turning away after all I've done? And Israel replies, upping the sacrifices, the gestures one by one from a calf to a thousand rams to 10,000 rivers of oil before even saying, would our own children be enough? And Micah concludes that what the Lord requires is not sacrifices. It's not external acts of worship, but to worship God through a life lived differently. The Lord requires us to do justice, to act justly, not to admire justice, not to acknowledge it as a worthy principle, but to do justice. But what do we understand of justice? Perhaps an equal treatment of all people. This understanding of justice is, is represented in a statue outside the U.S. Supreme Court in Washington. She's called Lady Justice, And you can see there that she is blindfolded. She doesn't see the difference between people. She treats everyone the same. And I think this appeals to our sense of fairness. And certainly, currently, um, it seems to be resonating with people. It's lived out in popular contemporary TV shows like The Voice or The Masked Singer. This kind of strain of justice does run through the Bible, but the predominant biblical view of God's justice differs from this. Our God is not a blind God. God sees very clearly the difference between people, the rich and the poor, the powerful and the oppressed. God's justice is openly on the side of the poor, the weak, the threatened and the excluded. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, this biased justice of God is expressed foremost in God taking up the cause of the politically and the economically poor and against the the comfortable and the privileged. In Isaiah 3, we hear, the Lord enters into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people? Says the Lord God of hosts. And then in the Magnificat, of course, to move to the New Testament, as Mary bursts into song, she cries that the hungry will be filled with good things and the rich will be sent away empty. Now, some people are surprised that Christian aid is campaigning at all on climate. But the truth is, the climate crisis is one of the greatest injustices that we face. Industrialization, burning fossil fuels and unsustainable consumption 
have dangerously increased the level of carbon dioxide in the air and is causing our planet to heat up. This means more extreme climate events, rising sea levels and critical threats to human life. And crucially, in terms of justice, not only the poorest, the most vulnerable of this world, the ones who are suffering first and worst, but they're the ones that have done the least to cause it. The poorest half of the world's population, that's three and a half billion people, is responsible for just 10% of carbon emissions, while the richest 10%, that's us, are responsible for a full half. Every day, people living in poverty lose food, they lose water, they lose their homes, their livelihoods, their family, battling a crisis they did not create, caused by inequalities of wealth and power. This is deeply unjust. Last summer, some colleagues of mine worked on a report highlighting how those suffering the most from climate change have done the least to cause it, and they compared countries' CO2 emissions with levels of food security. Now, food security, I wouldn't suggest, is entirely dependent on climate change, of course. There's lots of other causal factors, such as infrastructure and political instability and health and education and so on. But climate change is accelerating food insecurity. According to the UN, the number of malnourished people has increased globally for the past four years to 821 million people after decades of decline. Global heating threatens to undo the last 50 years of progress in development, in health improvement and in poverty reduction. It's against such overwhelming facts of these that we are reminded of the witness of prophets such as Micah through Scripture. Prophets are much more 3D than their popular caricature as doomsayers. Prophets, yes, call people to behave differently, to keep the laws they've been given, to do what is right. They help us face up to the future that we are walking into and that we are creating for future generations. They see connections between injustice in human community and the ruin of the land. But even more than these things, they show us what a renewed humanity, a renewed earth, a different present and a different future might really look like with a more fertile, more just, more peaceful earth in which we may all share the gift of life. They know how hard we find it to see this and how our own interests blind us. Many of those across the world right now who speak of the reality of climate change are in this tradition of the prophets. When they speak of these uncomfortable realities, we in the developed countries sometimes prefer to ignore them. They are often dismissed as prophets of doom. And rather than listen to as those those people who bring a vision of a renewed world, their ethical challenge is derided as guilt-making and we fail to explore the real hope in what they're saying. But across the global south, people living with the reality of climate change understand the importance of heeding the voices calling for change and becoming part of that voice. At Christian Aid, we are privileged to see the actions of changemakers in their own communities. And I wonder what your image is of um, an environmental activist, but I want to introduce you to one. Here she is. This is Rosalia Kasongo Nandingi. She's 73 years old. She is a member of a climate change advocacy group in Kiyengi village, Kitui, in drought-hit Kenya. 
She used to have to collect water from a river nearly 30 kilometres away. Staggers me whenever I say that, I can't imagine it. Her whole daily activity was just fetching water. Now, with the help of Christian Aid, her community has built a water point nearby, and Rosalia can go and get home, go there and come back in less than half an hour. She grows vegetables, and she makes rope to sell from sizable plant leaves. And with this money, she buys cooking oil, maize, onions. But there has been no rain for two years. And climate change is an ever-present danger, and she's happy to be part of the climate change advocacy group. This 73-year-old lady has personally planted 120 trees, and she travels to educate other people in the community through song and through community groups. Because of drought, people are now forced to cut down the trees that have been planted previously and burn charcoal. She's now advocating for more resilient seeds that can grow despite the lack of rain and the strong sun. As well as acting justly and loving kindness or mercy, Micah in instructs us to walk humbly with our God. Humility comes from the word humus. I always want to say hummus. It is humus. <laughs> the rich soil matter. In the Genesis 2 account, the first people are named earth creatures, humans from this humus, from the earth, belonging to it. And we're given the important task of tilling it and keeping it. And when we die, we shall return to the ground from which we are taken. We are part of the community of creation. And Micah here surely wants to remind us of our mortality and our reliance on our creator and our guide, the Lord our God. And the truth is, let's be honest about it, theology and modern climate science have had an uneasy relationship. While some Christians, notably Franciscans, have believed to carefully tend and respect the earth is to show our respect and our love for God. Others, though, have taken the instruction in Genesis 1 to subdue the world and have dominion over all living creatures as a license to do what we will. In 1967, the American historian Lynn White Jr. shocked many by arguing that a Western theology of dominion had itself fueled the ecological crisis, and it heralded a whole new era, uh, era rather, on the reflections over the theology of creation. There remain different views today, but there are more and more calls to reshape our understanding of a creation and our place within it that's more faithful to a scriptural vision of humanity in harmony with creation, not dominating it or exploiting it. As the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, likes to say, we need to regain a sense that our relationship to the earth is about communion and not consumption. In our New Testament reading today, Paul is urging the Corinthian church to follow Jesus by moving into a new way of seeing others, a new way of living. We, as a people who've been reconciled to God through Christ, are entrusted with this message of reconciliation. It's a tall order. Reconciliation requires much of us. It requires remorse. I'm sorry for what I've done, how I've prioritised my comfort over that of other people. It requires repentance. I'm going to live differently. I'm going to turn my back on my previous ways, and I'm going to turn my face towards God. 
Perhaps part of that is repayment. I, I think of the poor man in, in the Gospels that we heard. He approaches Jesus and asks how he can get eternal life. And he's told, sell your possessions, give them to the poor. Making things right is not easy. But when we see others as made in God's image, when we love our neighbor, we and the world experience reconciliation and new life. Jesus stands in a great prophetic tradition. He had pointed warnings for those who needed to hear them, but he came to bring good news, the gospel of abundant life for all. And when we stand together as ambassadors for Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and by the grace of God, we can bring a new world to bear. God sets before us a future worth changing for, a world far better, more just, more peaceful, more joyful than the one we know now. Our faith tells us we can still tackle climate breakdown, and we can do it in a way that at the same time will challenge inequality and restore creation and restore relationships. At the UN climate meeting in Glasgow this November, leaders and nations will be making decisions in our country that could set us on the path to a better, safer world. Christian Aid is asking supporters to underpin this year in the run-up to the talks with prayer to make climate justice a reality. We're encouraging supporters across the globe to join in a non-stop prayer chain that will bring our voices together, that will transform us and our actions Prayer that will help us understand God's care for those who are suffering and to acknowledge our role in causing it and to start anew. Prayer that we hope will act as a deep source of energy because there is a struggle ahead. If you'd like to take part in that, Danny and the Creation Care team have got some flies available and I'm very happy to explain more afterwards. Christian Aid supporters and those of other charities such as CAFOD and Tear Fund are changing lives around the world for those like Rosalia who live in climate-vulnerable communities. We're going to end with a video with some images from some Christian Aid projects around the world, some areas uh, that are in need and some illustrating the change that has taken place. During that video uh, and the song, I'm going to invite you to take the time to reflect on what you think God is calling you to do, how you might be able to respond. And we do have scattered around some pens and little uh, tags that you can write on, either a, a pledge or a prayer that you can come and bring up and hang on or pop into the cross. But before we do that, I just want to leave you with one last thought. I referred to Valentine's Day earlier and the reminder of the power of love to transform and to heal this world. As a Valentine's gift, my husband bought me a print. It's from a company that creates gifts with quotes from scripture. And every time they send a gift, they send a free postcard with a verse on it. I tried possibly not that successfully to hide the fact that I was more excited about the postcard than the gift. And it's because I was thinking about today and this service and your creation care team. On it was a quote from Esther. It's here. Seize the moment. Perhaps you are here for such a time as this. Amen. I have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. And when we sing together, 
line is drawn and hope reborn. This is the song, the song of kingdom come. I have a voice, you have a voice, we have a voice when we sing together. A line is drawn and hope reborn. This is the song, the song of kingdom come. We heard the cries of distant neighbors to dispossess the refugee and God's command to feed the hungry and set them free and set them free. We heard the word. And we reclaimed the prophet's call To love the world without condition God's love for all God's love for all I have a voice You have a voice We have a voice When we sing together
kingdom come.